Hello listener, it's the host of Campbell's Football's Grant Campbell here, with a message to every one of you listening to this podcast. Please keep safe during this very stressful time with the outbreak of coronavirus affecting not just football, but our everyday lives. Make sure your friends and family are safe during this very stressful time for many of us, not just physically, but mentally too. But Campbell's Footballs will still be producing podcasts. However, there will be very few predictions because obviously there's not much football going on at the moment. I have a few in-conversation specials though, which I'm sure you would love to listen to. But at the end of the day, please make sure that you look after yourselves. Take the time to listen to the show in your own home, with friends and family. And remember that we are all in this together. So take care, be safe, and I'll see you soon. Hello again, welcome back to Campbell's Footballs. I'm joined for this episode uh, by Sanjit Atwal, who's involved with many different things within football. He's the co-founder of Half Space SE Sports, but is also a co-founder of Squawker, and we'll uh, go into a few bit more detail of that as we head through this podcast. But first of all, Sanjit, a warm welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me, Gron. Yeah, I'm really interested to chat to you about things. Uh, first of all, how are you coping through the coronavirus activity, which is uh, um, causing us issues, shall we say, at the moment? Yeah, it's been a, a very interesting period, to, to, to say the least. Um, we we work with lots of football clubs and sports sporting federations uh, all around the world, and it's... Um, it's hit some people super hard um, some of our clients are looking at it as an opportunity to to maybe reset their business models of their organization which is probably something that's needed in sports and, and football especially um, for, for us as an organization uh, we're, we're, we're very busy um, helping our clients through this period um, from a marketing and comms point of view from a commercial point of view sponsorships and broadcast um, and uh, I think that's well, I'm hoping that the industry will come out in a stronger position uh, with a much more robust kind of model mm-hmm. um, as opposed to having a model that, that can obviously have massive downsides when when the party stops, when the party music stops um, playing. Obviously, this is very unprecedented times. Did you ever think you would be as busy as you are at the moment in this circumstances? Well, having run my own businesses in sports for, 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 for nine, ten years now, uh, yes, uh, <laughs> every day is busy uh, when you're running your own business. Um, so, so, I mean, it, it's, it's especially busy, but it's very, very productive. Um, that's, uh, that's the important thing to say. Yeah. Um, and it's, look, it's, if, if, if you don't care about the clients that you're working with, if you don't care about the industry, then you're going to find this kind of period very tough. Absolutely. Um, we're lucky we've got a, a very motivated team, a team that really passionately cares about sport and, and keeping these kind of organizations alive. And we've got lots of charity clients as well in sport. Um, so so right now, we're, we're making good headro- um, inroads into making sure that our clients' businesses are, are safe and sound as can be. Mm. Give me a little bit 
bit of a flavour about how the journey started for you. I mean, um, everybody's has a story. Everybody's got a starting point in the world of, of sports and football specifically. What was your starting point for you? So, uh, I grew up um, first generation um, born in this country um, in uh, in East London um, slash Essex um, and grew up um, near a place called Romford which is Back then wasn't the nicest place. Now is slightly nicer, I would guess. <laughs> um, and it was it was it was an area where there was no other sport really apart from football. There's a little bit of cricket, but it was just a football mad place to grow up. Um, West Ham was a local team, um, and you know that's what most people were obsessed by. Yeah, I uh, grew up a Liverpool fan. Okay. Because it was a family thing, um, it was a team um, my family started watching uh, growing up, uh, coming to this country, and my older cousins um, supported them, and that's kind of how I grew up. And and I, I came into my love of football probably started at around ten, eleven. I wasn't too interested before that, um, mainly because I didn't think I'd be very, very good at it. Hmm. Um, but then I, I really started to get into the, um, the the gaming side of it. So I don't know if you remember a game, Sensible Soccer. Yes, I very much day, remember. Yeah. So I was obsessed with that game um, and, and other football management games of the period. Um, and I started to build up uh, an, an encyclopedic knowledge of um, of players from random teams. Mm. Um, for example, when um, Manchester United um, uh, signed Jesper Blomqvist yes. from uh, Gothenburg. That's right. I was the only one in the class who knew who Jesper Blomqvist was then <laughs> um, no one else knew I was like oh yeah he, yeah, he used to play for Gothenburg yeah, he's left winger striker he can do this he can do that um, and, 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 and that kind of stood me out a little bit and you know I was very good at pop quizzes about football and I, I was watching everything I could get my hands on mm. became really obsessed with um, Italian football through um, Football Italia on Saturday yes, morning and again there I, I, I became pretty encyclopedic uh, on the teams their players you know I, I, I get um, really hung up on random players I remember um, uh, Udinese I think it was had a left back called Tarantino and I remembered his name because of Tarantino's director and I would watch him as much as I could because yeah. I just loved what he was a really great left back but no one big ever signed yeah, um, and, and and growing up where I did where the, the lifeblood was football was, was quite interesting when you start to have a good knowledge about it and I started to get a lot better at it as I joined secondary school um, when, where I went to secondary school was pretty rough um, you know, it was very much a concrete schoolyard and if you didn't have a football um, because it got kicked over the fence or, 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 or a bigger boy came and took it you played with a tennis ball. Yeah. If you didn't have a tennis ball, you played with a crushed up can because we played on concrete. Yeah. So we'd be playing Wembley doubles with a crushed up can. <laughs> um, and if we didn't have a crushed up can, can Grant, what we did is um, someone um, uh, nipped to the to the ice cream van down the way or ran to the shops uh, and got a bottle of uh, a plastic bottle of Coca Cola or, or something like that. Um, and we would pour it away. We weren't interested in um, in, in the actual drink itself. Uh, what we were doing is pouring it, pouring it all out down the drain, yeah. and then um, <laughs> filling a quarter up with stones, Super. And putting the cap back on, and that across concrete yeah. flies really well um, in a game of Wembley doubles. Uh, so be- became okay at football after that because if you're playing with things like that, mm. suddenly you start to um, do pretty well for yourself. Absolutely. Um, 
started playing Sunday League um, in in the rough and ready pitches around where we were. Um, most of what, which were on slopes um, with you know dog mess all over them, some shattered glass at the sides. Yeah, um, I think everybody's had that experience um, and. That that was my formative years of uh, of football. I mean, yeah. along that kind of time, um, Liverpool were, were were kind of in and out thereabouts. Um, not much success. I remember the um, ninety uh, the ninety five ninety six um, Coca Cola Cup final very yeah. well with Steve McManaman scoring two goals, and he was he, he was my Liverpool idol um, growing up. I obsessed, and I remember being heartbroken when he. Was uh, announced to be moving to Real Madrid yeah. on a free transfer. That that, that killed me. Yeah. Um, uh, and then outside of outside of that, Roberto Baggio was yeah. uh, my idol from Italian football. He was the you know, the, the undisputed yeah. world player of the year at the he time. Was. And uh, I remember uh, being uh, pretty tearful when um, he missed his penalty in the in the ninety four World Cup final. Yeah. Um, yeah, they, I was because England weren't in it. Italy were my team. Yeah, and I could. Yeah, we can thank James Richardson for that. I think I've told James Richardson that before, actually. Really? Um, um, when I met him, I don't think he really cared. But oh, wow. Yeah, that's, that, that, that's yeah. where it came from. Yeah. What is it about McManaman that was that, that kind of tied you to him as your favourite Liverpool player? Was it just that he played for the shirt and was just a, a really decent player? Or was, it just, was there a thing that connects you to that? So, with McManaman... With the Liverpool team at the time, Barnes was obviously on the uh, uh, on the not on the way out, but he was slowing down a lot, he, and he was starting to move into central midfield. Mm. Um, and we didn't really have any wingers. And McManaman was the one real flair player yeah. that that team had, and it was all around him, especially when he took on the number seven shirt. Um, you know, the whole focus was on him, and. It was actually very easy to stop that Liverpool team, the Roy Evans Liverpool team. Yeah. You could stop McManaman and yeah. then you basically stop Liverpool because yeah. the whole team centred around him. And that position, you know, you, I hadn't really seen anything like it before because, you know, you're used to formations growing up. You're used to like 4-4-2 or 3-5-2, whatever. But that floating role, he would pop up all over the pitch, yeah. laying off passes, popping them off, and then running and, and being in the right place at the right yeah. time. He was a tremendously productive player. Yeah. His goal scoring was never amazing. He had a couple of good seasons, um, and he, he never quite had that power uh, in, in, in his finishing. But we had Robbie Fowler for that, mm, so we didn't, right. really, did, didn't really need that. Yeah. Um, it was just that he was such an unusual player, and he was ours. There was mm. no one. Everyone liked him, and there was no one really like him around which was a problem as well because I think England really struggled to try and fit him in yeah. to, 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 to the setup. Um, but that was at a time when you also had Darren Anderton That's very um, true. playing in a very similar position and Darren Anderton's goal output was far higher than Stephen yeah. Manning's yeah. um, but I remember the, the Euro 96 team uh, very very well and you know, the, the Venables tried very hard to try and incorporate both of them along yeah. with Gaza as well and Sheringham yeah. um, all, yeah. all in the same side so yeah, what, um, what, what, so yeah I mean I had a huge love for McManaman and I was very, very pleased for him when he scored those goals in the Champions League final. Yeah, um, 2000. Man of the match. I thought he totally deserved it. Yeah, yeah. You, you mentioned Euro 96. Let's not talk about that, especially that Gaza goal. It still gives me the nightmares. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. It was <laughs> well, a brilliant I, I, goal, I, I, but I, I, as a Scotsman, I, I, not a great moment for us. Yeah, I, I, 
I interviewed Steve McManaman um, as part of my role at Squawker um, when BT Sport first came out and, and I met him and he was such a genuinely lovely bloke he seems and a nice guy on uh, on five uh, on BT Sport because obviously he works very closely with Darren Fletcher who I really yep. rate as a commentator and he, his, his passion for Liverpool you could just you could just tell it from his from his voice in the commentary yeah absolutely and it, it was quite interesting when I was speaking to him I remember I was interviewing him, Michael Owen, uh, Robbie Savage, I think there's a few other people, and um, it was quite amusing that the, the, the PR person for BT Sport popped over and said, no, nope, you're out of time, move on, because uh, it was a bit of a press junket, yeah. and uh, Stephen Mano said, no, 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 it's all right, we're having a chat. And yeah. he sent her away and then just gave us a bit more time, which yeah. I really, really respected and appreciated. Yeah. You've had a really interesting career in business. Um, how did you want to get into business in the first place? What was your vision for that? So, initially, I wanted to be a football journalist. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's what I was kind of aiming at. Um, I went to, uh, when I went to college, I was studying media with, with a view of focusing more on, on journalism. Um, however, I, I, I fell in love with uh, film mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and the art of film. Yeah. And so I started, ended up studying film for five years yeah. um, and, and, and then went into uh, uh, career in advertising, but in technology, media, um, and, and all the way up to the point when in 2011, um, a uh, client of mine and friend said to me, look, I'm selling my business, I've got some money, uh, have you got any ideas, what should we do, should we do something together? Um, and that's how the idea of Squawker came up. Yeah. And that was, yeah, that was early 2011, um, I think it was March 2011, at it hard of building a media business around mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. So we, we met Opta, we had a look at what, what they had, and the thing that really, really struck out there was, there's so much data in the Opta um, feed in the Opta database. There is so yeah. many different pieces of information. Yes. Mm-hmm. But but people in broadcast were only using like a tiny amount, and we couldn't yeah. really get our heads around it. Yeah. Well, why 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 are Sky Sports telling you about action areas of the pitch, and you've got they split the pitch into thirds on their graphic, and you've got. 20% over here, 50% in the middle, and 30% on one yeah. side. It's basically the same three numbers every time, right? Yeah. But in a different order, um, depending on what's going on. Yeah. And when you think about that, it doesn't really tell you anything. Yeah. Yeah. Is that because the fullback's pushing up into the middle of the pitch? Mm-hmm. Is it because the striker's dropping back into yes. the middle? Is that what's making what yeah. is making up the 50%? Yeah. And all that data is 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 is, is there available in feeds. Mm-hmm. So we realised that if we could help make the data coming from football matches uh, more digestible, mm-hmm. understandable, mm-hmm. Uh, and relevant to fans, then maybe we had something. Yeah. Um, so we started to build technology to um, process the date the, the Opta feeds in real time, to visualise them in real time, um, and we launched it on June the twelfth, twenty twelve, for the Euros. Yeah, and um, that was a tremendously. Um, a successful period for us. Uh, we then started raising money on the business, and we grew the team to fifty odd people. Yeah, and and lots of journalists, and you know, it was about telling the story of football in a whole new way. Absolutely, and it was very influential. And even yeah. um, I remember being at a conference, and Dave Gibbs, who's you know, at Sky Sports, um, said we've we've had to change Monday Night Football because of people like Walker, mm-hmm. because we were talking about the game and offering it for free to fans. Yeah, and and and. I know that we did lots of market research over yeah. over the period, particularly you know people, times like 2015, 2016, 2017. Um, you know, you could walk into a bar in London when a football match was on, and you know, eight out of ten 
um, people would know what Squawker was. Absolutely. And it's uh, it, it's really amazing to have seen that team hit a million followers now on on, 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 on Twitter. I'm seeing that, yeah. Strength to strength. Um, and you know, I, I would it would it was a daily thing. I'd wake up and I'd look at my phone and there'd be another footballer following us. Basically, everybody yeah. follows it. Um, yeah. All the footballers want to get DMs from footballers saying what are my stats. Um, it was uh, it was um, it was an amazing time. Yeah. Um, uh, over, over that period we helped launch so many careers it was like the university for lots of football Brilliant. journalists now Fantastic. Um, you know lots of people who are on five live now uh, lots of people have gone on to very big media careers they all started at Squawker yeah well I'm just looking um, here on Twitter this is how it's pronounced uh, Squawker football football stats graphics analysis on the world's major leagues using Opta data uh, follow Squawker news uh, listen join the Squawker community how has that grown in the last nine years because when it kicked off as you mentioned you had this grand idea did you ever believe it would get so successful um, it was always a vision um, to, to, to make it a, a, a very big uh, business but we didn't really know what it would be when we launched it mm-hmm. we had no idea would it be a tech mm-hmm. would it be a tech business yeah is it a media business is it an advertising thing we had no idea um, and and that's kind of one of the things with running businesses like that you adapt over time and you, you respond to the market. And we found our niche in, in being a media business and, and, and really going to town on that. Um, it's a, it, it's, I'm tremendously proud of the times that, that, that I had there. I left that business at uh, the end of 2016, start of 2017, yeah. um, as I had a new majority owner. And um, you know, still a lot of the people that started are still there now. Yeah, yeah. I'm interested to know that the range of people that you kind of started off and helped out in their career and obviously have gone on to be successful. Can you filter some names in? Uh, yes, I can, and, and, and I'm sure they won't, they won't mind the mention. Um, you've got Statman Dave, yeah. who is now a regular on, on Five Live and done very well for himself. Yeah. Uh, Dave uh, was a, um, a mathematics student at yeah. Queen Mary's, and um, I had hired a friend of his, Nick, uh, who was an intern for me before I even started the business. Yeah. Um, and he came on and he was doing really well and was like, we needed more people um, who had good maths knowledge and loved football to come onto the team. Mm-hmm. And he suggested Dave. Dave interned for us, finished his degree, then came back and joined as first an analyst mm-hmm. and then started doing some content. And, uh, and I remember we, we started putting him in front of the camera a bit more and getting him to, to write a bit more and do his analysis because it was so good. Mm-hmm. And we started to help him through that kind of process. And I remember... Uh, very clearly I used to be the one who used to be asked to go on interviews and uh, to go on TV and things mm-hmm. like that and, and I always said yes because I enjoyed it and yeah, it, it made sense for me to do it um, but I was in where had I gone this is 2014 before the Brazil World Cup mm-hmm. I had been asked to go to Sao Paulo to present at a football conference yeah. uh, about Squawker and you know, tell, tell the industry what, what Squawker was. Um, and it was brilliant. I met Pele, uh, absolute gentleman, right. uh, uh, Brazilian Ronaldo, and a bunch of people went, did brilliant work. But whilst I was there, um, we had a call from, I can't remember which TV station it was, TV network, called the office and said, hi, can, um, can Sanjay come on? Uh, a show that we're doing and obviously I wasn't even in the country um, so Dave went on and it went really well and I think from there that really stoked his confidence yeah, to yeah. 
to, to, to really go for it. And look, he, I, I'm, I'm not going to take any kind of credit for, for what he's done because he's such a yeah. brilliant bloke and so smart and so driven um, that he's, he's made a brilliant career career yeah. for himself. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I still speak to him uh, every now and then and, and wish him all the luck in the world. Yeah, brilliant. I think he, if I'm remembering correctly, I think he maybe works very closely with uh, Alistair Bruce Ball and Chris Sutton, doesn't he? On he does indeed. Football. Yeah, yes. he does indeed. Yes. I think uh, I think they may be getting a few fantasy football tips from him. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I'm a big fantasy football buff myself. I'm not very good. I usually do. I'm a bit like Stoke say. I do really good in the second half of the season, but I'm usually mid to mid to lower table <laughs> standard. I'm never challenging the upper echelons, but neither am I struggling for well relegation. Obviously, they're in the championship now, but obviously, when they were really good in the the Premier League, they were one of these solid sides. You say you've been to the Brazil World Cup. You obviously probably do a lot of traveling with your job. What yeah. what's the greatest places you've been to? Was Brazil up that list? Um, yes, Brazil was Brazil was amazing. As a Liverpool fan, I have to say Anfield. Um, being really? Anfield on the, on on those big nights is is unlike anything for for, for me. Um, having said that, again with my um, penchant for uh, Italian football in the mid nineties, yeah. you know, seeing um, seeing the San Siro. For example, wow. which yeah. yeah, it's a shame it's not really going to be their stadium for, for, for yeah, too much longer. But it's such an iconic place; yeah. it, it really is. I haven't been to uh, Monaco Stadium. I really want to go there. I've been that, past that, it. That, I, I was in Monaco yeah. for 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 summer holidays last year, and we we. We kind of went past it. We saw it kind of a, a bird's eye view of the Stade Louis yep. uh, Stadium, and it's a cracking ground. Obviously, Man City played there a few seasons back, and an absolute thriller in the Champions League. I think was that the four three game, if I remember correctly. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's really right. High scoring um, game. We we we. With my work now, we we've done a lot of work with some uh, with a lot of other clubs, like Brentford, for example. Yeah. This is really? the last season of Griffin Park. That's right. Um, and. I have to say that's a that's a cracker. I guess people won't be able to go there now yeah. with um, the cancellation of, of football, postponement of football. Um, but it is really an amazing, uh, an amazing ground, an amazing stadium, and mm-hmm. I, I, I I still do feel a big affinity for them. Yeah. Um, yes, they're a client that yeah. we've, we've worked with, but um, just the staff, the team, you know, hanging around the training ground, meeting the manager Thomas Frank is an mm-hmm. absolute legend. Yeah. He's really really impressive guy, mm-hmm. um, and the way they run that club is 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 very very smart in my opinion they hire great people and it's just a brilliant ground yeah, it's a brilliant ground. Then again, I've been in the in in, in the home ground with friends uh, at Craven Cottage as well, and that's yeah. been bouncing. That's a good. That's a very good ground. I mean, one of my memories of watching Fulham growing up was obviously when they played Juventus in the their yeah, fantastic UEFA Cup run, and I can't believe still to this day that they won that game from a goal down four one. I mean, that was in my opinion Bobby Zamora's best ever game with a Fulham shirt. Clint Dempsey, I think, yeah, was absolutely. very prominent at the time. I mean, that was a Juventus side that was, you know pretty decent at that stage you know Italian football were going through a, a really decent phase at that point and for a side like Fulham to, to turn them over 4-1 at Craven Cottage and then it's go on amazing, to just it? lose the final oh it's just incredible so almost to the equivalent about obviously obviously it's slightly lower now but, but it was probably the best moment of an English side until Leicester won the, the Premier League in 2016 you know it's most unlikely yeah. thing you'll ever see happening I would say yeah it's, 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 pretty, it's pretty amazing um, I think that there, there is a really weird weird perception that English clubs should always do better in Europe if you look at the wages and, and things like that that it, the English league is, is, is one of the best paid yeah. when you when you spread it out yeah. across all the teams and when you look at you'll know this from your statistics work that 
on average, the best uh, indicator of how good or how strong a team's going to be or how strong a league's going to be is look at the wages. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that, 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 that's usually that's usually how it how it is. Um, but a, a lot of times, you just see English teams being knocked out by. By, by you know Slovakian sides or, yeah. or, or or whatever Liverpool have had it many times mm. um, and and that's just because the style of football was you know was good it's good good play and they tactically they were bang on yeah um, and so to, to finally see someone like a Fulham go and do it was you know it's, it's fantastic yeah I mean obviously Middlesbrough did it as well I think a couple yeah. of seasons before that as well but this whole was quite amazing um, you mentioned about obviously the work at Squawker I mean what I take it with that role, it's quite a flexible role, but also a very busy role. So what what is a week in your life like? Or what was it well, like? now? Yeah, well, but, well, working at Squawker, and obviously... Uh, when I was working at Squawker, it was um, a, a lot of my time as CEO was spent dealing with investors or uh, the, the senior management team, working with my co-founder, uh, Leo Harrison, on, uh, on on the actual business of business, I guess, um, and, and a lot of business development and things like that. Um, Fundraising, these kind of things, which I'd never done before. You know, you kind of learnt it all on on, on, on the job. Um, so it was always a very, very busy time. Um, now, my, my, my business now, Halfspace, as a sports marketing agency, yeah. as a data-focused sports marketing agency, is is super varied. Uh, I mean, just today, what have I done today? Um, I've been on the phone to one of our football clubs in Ireland this morning um, that we work with, um, seeing how things are going there. I've done a lot of work in motorsports today. Brilliant. We've done work in esports because we're working on the esports event. There's, there's launching tomorrow night. Yeah. Um, we've worked with a non-league club today, um, and some work in taekwondo wow. as well. Like that's uh, yeah, no no two days are the same. Yeah. Um, I'm working on some pictures. No two days are the same right now. Um, but I think having a, a an agile team that can work with you mm. on this kind of stuff is the most important thing no one can do it on yeah. their own right but that, that must be a really good thing as well to have a, a wide diverse range of items to be involved with yeah and it's a it's it's a function of i guess how you want to work but it's also a function of what the industry needs and sports is sports people think that sports is a big business and there are some big numbers associated with sports however I, I fundamentally believe it's undercapitalized. Mm. I believe it has so much further to go in in, in how it functions as a business. Um, one of the frustrations with sports is people in sport often get blinded by the big the big ticket, which is the broadcast rights. Mm. You know, that's the single biggest revenue yes. stream in sports. Sport only has four revenue streams, really. Rights, sponsorship, ticketing, merchandise, everything can fall into, into those somehow. That's right. And rights is the biggest one. Mm -hmm. And when you have teams getting very big checks every year, uh, or multiple times a year, depending on how it's structured, mm -hmm. there is a temptation not to try and sweat the rest of your assets or to to work too hard on the rest of it. Because you know you've got a big check here, why spend resources on developing these other areas? Yes. Um, and, and, and that's been a, a personal point of frustration, I think, with the sports industry and getting people to understand that there are maybe better ways to do things yeah. has been a challenge. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. Now, before I started Squawker, I worked in uh, advertising and e-commerce and technology. Mm -hmm. And there are industries that are maybe five or six years ahead of the sports industry. Mm. Taking those kind of methods, methodology, ways of working, practices into the sports world is what 
my business half space now is, is pretty much about as a sports marketing agency mm. um, where we're essentially an outsourced team for um, sports clubs rights holders um, federations governing bodies sponsors as well and media brands and athletes yeah. um, to lean on as experts across data across creative content and media uh, to help them uh, drive growth be it in fan growth or sponsor engagement revenues or you know, any other kind of commercialization um, so the flexibility that my day-to-day has and thus my, my, my team have is a function of what the industry really needs yeah, yeah. Right? And that, that's that's really interesting to see that, and I think it's very important to have a kind of a, a double in a lot of different areas and be as, as you say, flexible as possible. And that for me is very interesting. Um, you're also um, a co-founder of uh, Half Space, I think, is that what it's called? I was just trying to remember. Yeah, Half Space. Yeah. Um, how did that come to fruition? So Half Space really came to fruition after I'd left Squawker um, and I was doing a lot of work with various rights holders, clubs, teams and I I think I was looking for a a model to work with people like football clubs Mm. in, in which they didn't already have. And one of the pro- there's a few problems with with, with, with with football clubs and sports. One, when you're talking about things like data, outside of performance data, so very different to someone like a squawker, which is looking at the performance on the pitch, um, the data in and around the business that of, of a football club, the data in and around um, fans and who are fans, what, what are they doing, how are you analyzing this, and how are you driving that return on investment, and all these kind of things. It wasn't really very prevalent. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of data work that football clubs are going on was ostensibly CRM, so they're looking at email addresses and, and, and working out how to leverage that across the business, which is all great work. It's very important. However, it's only part of the picture. Yeah. Um, there's a other, big other part of the picture that, that needs to be addressed, and clubs didn't really know about that. And I thought, oh, that's really interesting. Um, maybe I could start an agency um, which is data focused and I can help clubs on data and things mm-hmm. like this. Mm-hmm. Um, the problem was that actually when you really get under the skin of things, clubs don't generally have people in their organizations who understand how to turn data into stuff. Right. How does data turn into revenue growth? How does data turn into growing new fan bases or merchandising or ticket sales and these kind of things? Sure. It just doesn't exist. Yeah. And all of these clubs had so many agencies. Yeah. Uh, I mean, one championship club that we were working with had six agencies. Yeah. And so from a business point of view, you know, these agencies aren't charities. They all need to be paid. Mm-hmm. And you're sitting there thinking, well, if you're the CFO, the chief financial um, officer of, of a club, do you realize that you're paying between 15 and 30% margin times six mm. to get what is ostensibly a substandard marketing product mm-hmm. because you haven't put the right data in at yes. the front of it anyway? Yes. So mm-hmm. you're paying too much for not enough. Absolutely. Which is, which is actually just, it's just economics. Yeah. Um, and this doesn't happen in lots of other industries. In lots of other industries, there is you know good end-to-end solutions. It's just that sport and entertainment hasn't yeah. really had that. Um, so, so I thought, well, let's try and build that. Let's build um, a um, a data-focused, full-service marketing agency covering all of the spectrum from 
data gathering, data analysis, really focusing in on who are fans, what do they need, what's, what kind of data do we need to pull out on sponsorships, yeah. this kind of thing, all the way down the funnel into how does that turn into a creative messaging, what is the content, and how does it get to the end user and drive yeah. revenue. Yeah. That, that, that is what Halfspace is. So yeah. I spent a year testing that. And then at the end of 2017, um, decided that it was, this was a real goer. Um, myself and some um, uh, other other peers, we, 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 we grouped together and we formed it as a limited company. So we're about two years old now as a limited company. Yeah. Um, and we haven't haven't looked back since. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's been you know, growing month on month. Last year two was uh, three times revenue growth, which mm-hmm. is fantastic. And Super. even with the coronavirus, I think we're going to we'll definitely beat that in year three. Yeah. Um, and it's just constant growth right now. Uh, excellent. I was just having a look at your website now, halfspace.co.uk. Uh, kind of split into four things, which I think is quite yep. good. you got your data side, which looks at deep yep. level audience and fan profiling, footfall analysis, content and rights analysis, CRM, sponsorship analysis. And then the creative side, you look at brand identities, logo design, campaign strategy, etc., storyboard. And then the content, you look at things of television production, social media side of things. And then the media side, you're looking at marketing and programming and, and, and social instances as well. Is it good to have that variance there? And obviously the four things will connect together and, and make a really interesting product at the end of the day. Yeah, I hope so. Uh, uh, <laughs> is, is it important to have all those things? It is for our business models. Now, our business model is, uh, because we know how football clubs work, because we understand the challenges that they have, and not just football clubs, everybody in sport really, we, we know that there are gaps in knowledge, which is why you have an agency, um, but also there is a, a, a need to connect up all of these areas to make it more efficient for them. So we as an agency, it's really important that we have those four divisions. It's also very important to say that not every club that we work with, um, or federation, um, people like the Rugby Football League we've worked with, not everybody takes every department that we have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We always insist that everyone's got data plus one, yeah, because data is at the heart of everything Definitely. that we do. Even on yes. creative, um, even if we're coming up with a new brand identity for someone, we we will always go to the data and, and try and understand well, what are fans reacting to, what is the best solution. We're not trying to take creativity out of the the um, the, the, the campaign here. What we're saying is, data and creativity can live together. Yeah. And, and that is that's, that's 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 a lot of our messaging is yeah. data and creative together. And human beings, because of the way that we've evolved, we love to put things in buckets. Yeah, we, we love to say, oh, so you guys do marketing, or you guys do sales, or you guys help my players on the pitch, uh, or you guys help my players get new contracts, or whatever it is mm-hmm. that someone is looking for in the in the football world. What we're trying to do is really break down those barriers a little bit, and we're trying to break them down with a good business case behind yeah. it of saying, well, look, forget about buckets. Here's yeah. a brand new bucket, and it encompasses this, and this is why it encompasses that. You get a better product out of it, out of the end of it, yeah. and it's cheaper for you. This sounds brilliant. Can I get a job? <laughs> I'm only joking. I'm only joking. You're surprised how many times I get asked. <laughs> I just have a look at some of the sponsors you're involved with. Your yeah. clients: Brentford FC. You mentioned that yeah. already. Uh, Envision World Taekwondo. You mentioned Rugby Football yeah. League. YouGov, Autosport. Yeah. Some big names in there. Harlequins. Uh, that's just absolutely fantastic. You mentioned esports earlier on. This is my yeah. next question. I was really interested in. What, why esports? Obviously, it's a really big thing evolving at the moment. Obviously, the coronavirus will will engage that. 
Sorry about the noise in the background there. Um, what was what made you feel was this a gap in the market that you felt you did opportunity to exploit? Um, we, we've done a bit in esports uh, for a while, mainly looking at data behind esports audiences. Um, so who are they? Um, why do they do what they do? And what kind of brands would they be interested in? This kind of stuff. Um, yes, the coronavirus has really brought this market more to fore because there's no live sport on, um, and so we're seeing a lot of. Um, desire from traditional broadcasters and also sponsors mm. to get behind yeah. good quality esports. Yeah. The the majority um, of our work in esports at the moment is actually in motorsports esports. Well so I wondered that because I know that Sky Sports F one were doing a lot of stuff with that and I think they were showing live races on yeah. the Sky Sports F one channel and YouTube and that and I know Lando Norris was getting involved yeah. obviously yeah. yeah you mentioned about esports. I mean I know that uh, it's becoming a really big thing in Formula One on the I know that people like Lando Norris, the McLaren driver, is very much getting involved with it. I think maybe Max Verstappen is as well. And that can only be a positive thing. And I know that certainly from a Scottish football league, I know that uh, a few clubs there are, are setting up mini leagues against each other, mini FIFA tournaments and stuff like that. And that must be a positive thing during this really tricky and unprecedented time. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that Look, fans are still here. People still want to see um, some some kind of live sports, and esports, especially in motorsport, has has been around for quite a while. I mean, sim racing's been around for well over a decade. Yes. Yeah. Um, as, as as a thing, um, it just hasn't had as much. I guess commercialization and and mainstream attention as it is getting now. Mm-hmm. Um, we're, we're seeing a lot of um, a, a lot of demand now for um, this kind of content um, from mainstream broadcasters, sponsors, etc. Yeah. And we're we're working very very hard with um, one of our clients, which is called the Race, which is a relatively new um, sports media business, um, who are owned by an esports business. Uh, strangely mm. enough, um, on their um, All Star Esports Battle, which we're running every Saturday night with them, um, and that is professional drivers up against the best sim racers yeah. uh, in a competition. Yeah. And this is it's slightly different from the Formula One angle. Um, Formula One's done a really good job of getting some massive celebrities. I think they've got Ben Stokes on this weekend racing and people like that. What we're trying to help our client build is a real sport. Yeah, It's not a fad. Yeah. Um, it's very competitive. It's super watchable. Um, mm. it's, uh, it is comparable mm. to the real thing. Yeah. And using um, the sim racers and using good drivers uh, we're able to to bring to broadcasters now a, and sponsors a, a really good sports product mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and and I think that that's only going to grow our yeah. job is to make sure that when Formula 1 does come back and Formula E and all these other kind of mainstream um, sports the, the interest doesn't die off yeah, yeah, after absolutely. that so yeah. our job is to help build interest into this and, and, and build it into something that everybody continues to follow and that's that's the real trick right that's yeah. the real trick yeah. people are here now because there's not much else on we've got to entertain them we've got to engage them enough so it yeah. becomes a long term viable thing well I guess it, it, not just in Formula 1 but in all sport football as well it's all about creating a target audience and that keeps people engaged yeah, totally, and, and and that is the sport. I mean, many people don't like to say it, but football is 
as much an entertainment product as it is Absolutely. is anything else in the upper echelons. Yeah. That's very different from um, from non-league and local, where actually it's more about the fabric of society. It's more yeah. about the fabric of community yeah. um, and, and why that's important. Which is why you're seeing such a big dichotomy right now between the stance of Premier League, FA, non-league clubs on yeah. what actually happens in the coronavirus period yeah. um, and, and and what people's priorities are. I mean, I I, I, I had um, a DM from a. Uh, a non-league footballer just the other day and, and he was like yeah I'm trying to keep fit no one's really putting too much pressure on us to do it because no one really knows what's going to go on mm-hmm. um, and when we're actually going to come back mm-hmm. um, is this essentially pre-season again now who knows yeah. do you feel you and your role are a good bridge for the non-league sides to the Premier League clubs because obviously a lot more coverage is given to the bigger sides in the Premier League and maybe the Championship but a lot of teams in National League and, and certainly in Scottish Football League 1, League 2 maybe don't get the covers they possibly deserve or maybe don't get really because of all the attention taking place on other sides um, yes I mean there's, there's obvious reasons for that um, however you mean the National League is the client yes, yes. We, we work with the National League and I think that there it's a different product yeah right you're, you're, you're not tuning into the National League to see these superstars um, uh, running and doing what they yeah. do it is more about um, your your core audiences, yeah. core fan bases, and that that with pro- and the and the real football lovers. Yeah, that is not to be detrimental to, to, to the Premier League or or, or, yeah. or or the National League, but it is a different product. It cannot be presented in the same way. Yeah, and I think that's where the general business of football needs to needs to take a look at itself and and, and really figure out how this works out because. As I said earlier on, non-league clubs are so important to the hearts of community yeah. and fabric of society. Yeah. It really is. You know that People aren't turning up to see three points every weekend. No. They're not. You know that. They're yeah. not. They're, they're yeah. going because it's part of them. Absolutely. You know, it's part of their community. There's only three, and, and you may know this as a scientist, there's only three core motivators for um, human beings. Tribe, hunt, and self. Yeah. They're the only three things. Everything falls into one of those things. And it's quite clear where fandom is in those instances. Absolutely. And pe- people are there because they're part of the tribe, but they're also doing it for self. Yeah. They're doing it because it's, it's something that, is, that they need in their lives. Absolutely. And that's very different from the Premier League. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, I mean, I, I watch a lot of National League football, and I actually think it's a really good product. I think there's a lot of good, good teams in that league. It's a very competitive yeah. league. You see a lot of big clubs in that league now. Teams like Chesterfield and Notts County in that league. Yeah. You know, sides that were what's upon a time Championship League One sides. Yeah. You know, that's, it, that just shows you had the coverage again. And BT Sport have done really well and taken a few live games on as well. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And 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 I think. They could be taking more. Um, I think that DAZN have done a, done a good job with, with, with what they've done as well with the National League. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think it's, I, and uh, I, I don't know where's my place to say, but I think that is a brilliant opportunity for brands, yeah, for sponsors. Definitely. I really do. I think it's such yeah. a such a powerful um, product. Mm-hmm. Yeah. to be getting behind I think the idea of activating locally as well as nationally is, mm-hmm. is a very powerful thing that brands should be looking at yeah. um, and I think that 
that they could be doing um, a, a roaring trade yeah. uh, with the right brands behind them. I, I really think yeah. that. When clubs come to you for information, what is the main items that they're interested in doing? Is it is it just purely sponsorship, or is it statistics, or is it a mix of a range of things? Is it various clubs or club? Ultimately, everything that we work back towards is revenue generating for clubs. It, it out the door as quickly as you can. Um, and using our really good data, using targeting, using our media teams, we're able to deliver what's known as good ROI, return on investment um, on that. And, and that's very important for these clubs because, yeah. as you're seeing right now, some clubs do live you know, month to month on gate receipts. Absolutely. It does Absolutely. Spe- especially in Scotland. I mean, it's, it's some of the lower clubs are, are definitely struggling to, to fund a lot of their players and staff and that. And stuff like what you're yeah. doing is, is, is a very interesting. You, I imagine you travel all around the country with Half Space. Have you been given opportunities to present at like universities or stuff like that and people maybe gain an interest in what more that you do? S- yeah, so um, we've got clients all over the world mm. now. Um, so um, we've, we've done work in um, South Korea. We have a client there. We have a client in Australia now, uh, New York. We've done the work in South America, mm-hmm. um, all around Europe. So we actually have um, a London office, Paris office, and a Madrid office at mm-hmm. Halfspace. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've got plenty of clients all around Europe. Um, and the university side is an interesting one. Um, so I've done some uh, guest lecturing for Loughborough University. Okay, um, so yeah. I've lectured on the uh, master's uh, course of sport, business and sponsorship. Uh, and that is very much, now that, that was really fun to do because it was talking to students about where does data sit yeah. in the sponsorship process? Yeah. What, what does it mean in terms of sponsorship? So usually what that's meant is um, how do you analyze the sponsorship, whether it's been successful or not. So how many people saw it? Um, what was the TV coverage? How many times the logo get seen? And what was the inventory? Da, 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 da. Um, what we're really interested in is that, yes. But also we're interested in how is data informing who is going to be a good sponsor or not? Yeah. How is data informing what is a good activation or not? I'll give you an example here. Um, we uh, did some work for um, one of our clients who remain nameless, um, who's working with a very big um, uh, brand who sells power tools and, and all, all kinds of items like that. Um, we presented to this brand on behalf of our client on the audiences, the fan base that had seen their yeah. sponsorship with this sports team. Mm-hmm. Um, we can tell you empirically who those people are, what it looks like. Mm-hmm. We can tell you about you know, demographic profiling and you know, what are their preferences, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but then we were also able to say, and this is what engineering students look like what? as part of that demographic. Mm-hmm. And this is what small business owners look like. And yeah. actually, if you really want to engage them, this is the best kind of content you should be investing in. This is why you should give the client, um, our, our client another half a million pounds of sponsorship because then we could do this, this, and this yeah. and deliver these very tangible results. Mm-hmm. And, and that's that's the future of sponsorship. Yeah, it's things definitely. Like that. Yeah, definitely. Uh, obviously, sport and football associated uh, more and more with betting companies. Um, are you guys affiliated with those in any sort of way? Uh, we've done a bit in betting in the betting world um, we've brokered some deals with our clients with betting companies um, we betting companies are, are actually very simple organizations to understand there's only two levers there's cost per acquisition and there's lifetime value mm-hmm. that is ultimately what they want um, what we're seeing right now especially at Premier League level is is not really a, what I would call a true market because you're seeing lots of sponsorships from betting companies who are, are actually looking for broadcast back into mainland Asia yeah. and into markets that 
that don't usually allow betting or, or, or promotion of betting, yeah. should I say. Uh, and so lots of brands have seen um, sponsorships abroad in things like the, um, the, the Premier League as a really good way to, to circumnavigate that. Yeah. Um, I, I'm not going to pass any judgment on that. What I would say is I, I believe it's incumbent on all, all parties in that negotiation, the clubs... Premier League, uh, as, not as part of the conversation, but as uh, from 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 our overall level, yeah. and the betting companies to ensure that if that is a model that is going to continue, there is a social responsibility Absolutely. side to to that. I, I, I very strongly feel that some segments of sponsorship um, and media rights should be um, should include percentage to certain social areas Definitely. so be that be local development be that um, um, be that in education mm-hmm. um, or into a more um, more I guess national organisations such as Kick It Out and people like that I, I, I feel like that's a model that needs to be looked at it's been kind of skirted around it, it, I, as I said earlier on I'm hoping that actually coming out of this coronavirus period it gives people a chance to reset the way that they're looking Definitely. at their businesses and the way they're looking yeah. at the industry that is one of the things I would really hope would happen and wherever possible we try and push um, uh, push ideas like that yeah you also you mentioned kick it out I take it you've had a lot of involvement with the FA as well is that something that is of interest to you especially and they, I mean obviously I, I've having had experience of talking to a couple of people from the SFA in Scotland yeah um, it's, it's a brand that certainly the the sort of normal civilian doesn't really have that much knowledge and, and expertise on. And, and I, I just want to know a little bit more from the FA side in England what, what their thoughts and processes are on this. Um, the, the FA is such a big organisation. Mm. It, it, it really is. There's, there's, there's so many stakeholders um, and there's so many projects going on at one time. Mm-hmm. Um, there is... I mean, this, this is where... I guess England is is quite unique is and I guess Spain is quite similar but the model is slightly different mm-hmm. is the power that the Premier League actually have and it's 20 member clubs yeah. so remember that the Premier League is owned by the 20 clubs in Absolutely. the Premier League yes. with uh, annual voting with you know, whoever's coming back coming in and coming out um, the power that the Premier League had versus the FA is um, is interesting I think from a sociological point of view mm-hmm. looking at where you know, where, where does a power lie and this kind of stuff mm-hmm. um, generally speaking I would say not, not just football there's quite a few sports that have maybe have maybe needed and maybe now is a good opportunity to, to just reassess how those links are built um, and, and how more federations like people like Kick It Out are funded or uh, are, are being made Definitely. to be visible yeah. um, and just making it making everyone very aware that that's an important thing I think I hope will be high on the agenda yeah no absolutely I think it's of interest and, I, and I, I'm certainly interested and I'm, I'm keen to know a little bit more in the future how they sort of go with things um, obviously you've had a, a fantastic career so far Sanjit what's your kind of defining moment for you that has made you feel so proud to be where you are today I, I, I think I would hope that it's still coming to be honest Grant but uh, <laughs> um, I this in the future um, look I think, I think the work that we're doing now I mean we're working with lots of sports charities at the moment and that's really fulfilling work you know um, I think that that's something that we're all really proud of and we're, and we're 
we're pushing on with a, with lots of charities and you know we're, we're working hard for them I'm proud of that i'm proud of the work that we do for clubs to help them become more efficient stable businesses yeah i think that, that that's really really important and you look back at things like squawker and you know i was tremendously proud of Silam of what squawker has done in terms of the football psyche definitely in media and fans you know that's building a proper consumer facing brand the, be- the best week of squawker was um i think it was 26 it was 2016 um it, the, the week started with us winning uh, an award at, i think uh, the performance marketing awards we won the best campaign for i think continental tires for sponsorship work that we did with those guys really? the next morning uh my co-founder leo and i flew to la and went to an event there. We won an award there as best British business um, because we had lots of users in America. A mm-hmm. um, couple of days there, um, looking at doing some deals. Flew back, um, and then on my birthday, we won um, the uh, uh, British Media Awards as wow. best use of data. But that very morning was actually the, the, the most proud part I, I, I had there. We 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 did some volunteering work for Whitechapel Mission. Yeah, okay. And I took, I think, 12 members of my team, uh, we all rocked up there at 5 in the morning, mm-hmm. and we were we were cooking uh, for the homeless from, um, oh, from, from, I think the doors opened at 6, 6.30, um, through to midday, and then you're cleaning the kitchens, then you're, you know, you're, 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 really? you're really working hard, and that as a team building thing, just looking around, seeing the team that um, Leo and I had built doing stuff like that, mm-hmm. and then going back in that evening, you know, getting go, going out of your scrubs and getting into your tucks and winning an award that evening with my same team. You know, that's yeah, that's stuff you can Ooh, look back definitely. on. We were that's, really making a difference here in, in, in multiple ways. Um, I don't know if that answered your question. No, no, I, I I think you've answered it more. I mean, that that's an that's an outstanding story. I mean, I mean, I think. Doing charity work of any description is uh, fantastic. I mean, I've, I've, I've raised money for cancer charities in the past, and um, it's very close to my own heart, it's close to my family's heart, it's close to a lot of people I know. Um, but stuff like like helping the homeless and, and, and that sort of thing is something that really interests me as well. And the stuff you've done really touched me there, just listening to that. It was quite, quite fantastic to hear. Um, you, you, you seem to be a very ambitious person like myself, in a way. Um, what does the future hold for, for Sanjit? Um, well, I, I guess we've only really just started on the on uh, on this journey uh, at Half Space. You know, two and a bit years old. We're, we're growing very fast, and who knows what where, where it's going to end up. But it, it's certainly growing at such a pace, and it's constantly evolving. All I know is, as long as we're keeping data at the heart of the business and yeah. data at the heart of the strategies we're recommending and executing, then that will only continue to grow. Um, I, I absolutely will be taking on more charities as we as we grow. Yeah. Um, we've got three that we're working with, and there's a, uh, another substantial one we're hoping to, to, to begin work with. And, and that, from a personal point of view, is something that um, I, I do want to focus on yeah. uh, over the next few years. Absolutely. Well, I think that's absolutely fantastic. If anybody wants to find out a bit more about yourself, where can they find you? Uh, on uh, all the usual places, uh, Twitter um, at Sanjit Atwal, S A N J I T A T W A L, um, or LinkedIn uh, has lots of information about me. Maybe too much information. <laughs> um, and then obviously our website is halfspace.co.uk. Yeah, fantastic. Well, so much really great insight into this podcast. I've I've thoroughly enjoyed it. I'm sure, I hope you have as well, Sanjit. I have indeed. Yeah, thanks, thanks for having me on. Thanks for being a guest on the Campbell's Footballs podcast. Pleasure. No, no way. Well, listener, that brings us to the end of yet another episode of Campbell's Footballs. I hope this podcast was just what the doctor ordered. If you want to listen to previous shows or look out for future shows, follow 
Campbell's Footballs on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts or wherever you listen to other podcasts. You can also follow the show on Facebook at Campbell's Footballs. Search for me, StatoG91 on Instagram or other social media channels. But until then, until next time, I hope you enjoyed the crack and enjoy Campbell's Footballs. What a dangerous night!